All right, everybody, welcome to New Life. How many of you guys are excited to be at church today? Yeah? Come on. It's a great day. It's a great day. Hey, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, you're sitting in one of multiple services that we have today. Uh, you're here at our Carney campus. Also want to say hello to everybody worshiping with us at our North Platte campus, as well as, the, as those that might be at home today, or they're on vacation today, or they're working today. Uh, I just heard that we have even some of our people that, uh, or one of our gentlemen is working in California for a year, uh, helping out uh, there with uh, all the electrical things because of all the forest fires and things that have happened. So I want to say a big hello to everybody that's worshiping with us, no matter where you're at. Uh, you're here for a great day. Today is the beginning of a brand new teaching series. One of the reasons why we teach this way, we teach in like these small segments and we kind of conquer things maybe by the month or at, at the length, the longest, maybe eight weeks. I think we've done some that are 12, but we really try to keep them a little shorter because we know that people don't like jumping into the middle of things. So if you're a guest here with us today, I just want to say this to you, right? You're here for a great day because you're here at the very beginning of something brand new called King Me. King Me, that's the new series. How many of you guys have ever played checkers? Let me see your hand. Come on. All right. Remember checkers, right? And then you got kind of bored with it after a while. But I get it. You remember when you moved your man all the way to the other side next to your opponent? Remember that? And you drop your checker on the other side and you say to them, what? King me. King me, right. You say, king me, king me. King me, all right? So it's more than a game. This is life now. In life, we want to be the king of our life. That's, that's where we're going with this series. Every single one of us wants to put the crown on and we want to be in control. We want to be in charge. And there's this great like tension between you being the king of your life and God being the king of your life. In this series, we want to talk about what it means to live underneath the authority of God as your king. It's one of the greatest battles for any believer. It's one of the greatest battles for any person to even submit their life and surrender their life to Christ. Is to be able to say, I'm giving up control. God, you're taking control. Because we want control. And we give it to God, and then throughout the week, we'll grab the crown back, we'll sit it back on our head, and we'll say, yeah, I got this next one, though, God. And so we've got authority with God spiritually that we're going to be wrestling with with this, with this series. But then let's bring it down to something that maybe is even more tangible. The, the smaller crowns of leadership that we're given on this earth. We all have a boss, right? We all have somebody we're accountable to. It might be that you're accountable to a board, right? Or you're accountable to, you know, a manager or you're the entrepreneur, right? And you're accountable to the customer. I mean, you're accountable someplace, somewhere. You report to someone. Now, when you were hired at the job that you have now, one of the things that you liked about the job was the manager you had to report to. And so you loved them. And you're like, man, this is one of the great things. But then a couple of years after you took the job, management shifted, and now you have to report to another person that you have to love. That's the best way I can Christian, Christianize it, is that you have to love them. I could have used other words, they're inappropriate. You have to love them. So we're in these situations all the time where the authority that's over us, even on this earth, we're wrestling to understand, like, what does it mean to be submitted to them? What does it mean to honor them? 
What does it mean to follow them? Even though with this great tension of uh, I'm having a hard time respecting them, but they're the authority that has been put over my life. And what does God's word have to say about how I should live in light of that? But that authority, this small crown on the earth has like a, it's like a sword that has two edges to it. The one is who's over you, leading you. And then the other one is the authority that's been given to you that you influence others with. That double-edged sword goes both ways. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting to observe is when power is given to a person and what power does to that person. Power tends to corrupt people. Power tends to bring out the worst in people. It's unfortunate, and we all have to kind of make our way through that. Power brings authority and authority brings responsibility and responsibility has deadlines and people that are looking to you to get it done and you're having to try to figure out how to convey that to those who are now working underneath you and eventually power gets to a point where the person just slams their fist down and they just go you got to do it and it all kind of unravels the apostle paul he wrestled with power and with authority as well he, he's a man who wrote most of the new testament so think of it Writes most of the New Testament, but yet still wrestles with, what do I do with power and authority? Paul, he would go around as a missionary and as an apostle, he would, he would go around to these communities and he would preach and he would minister and he would make disciples and he would help them plant churches. He would install a pastor. He would move to the next community. But yet he would stay connected to certain ones through letters. He would write to them, you know, as he heard things to give further instruction or to continue the discipleship process. And, and, it, and when he did this, he would go from community to community. Many times he would go get a job, get a job to help, you know, meet some of his financial and practical needs so that he wasn't such a burden on some of these small new church plants that just had a few families gathering together at the very beginning. But he wrestled with it because in his position as an apostle and as a missionary, he had every spiritual authority and power right to ask the local church to fund him to help him in his missionary journeys and even to feed him. Take a listen to what he said in, to, the, to the church of Thessalonica. He said this to them. Look, guys, we certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. Like, I, I, I have the right to say to you, start supporting me on a monthly basis so that I can continue this missionary journey. But Paul said, no, I'm not gonna do that for you right now. In fact, I think what's better for you is I set an example of what it looks like to be diligently at work doing what God's called us to do. So see, here's the deal. Authority has to be tempered with incredible wisdom. Incredible wisdom. Because as a leader, I know that there are times when I have to turn to the team and I have to say, look guys, there's a deadline I, I just have to demand that we've got to get this done by a certain date. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to be mean. There's just deadlines that come, and they come for every one of us. We have deadlines, and so you have to demand. But you can't be a demanding person every single day of every single minute. I mean, think what would happen. Think what would happen if you, like, you were that kind of a person. Let's, let's take it to the confines of like a home and parenting. What if a parent was a demanding parent and what they did every single day, day in and day out, is it is demanded to their kid, you will do this, you won't do that, it's all going to get done. But they were very demanding, demonstrative in their demanding. How does the kid turn out? How, well, let me say it maybe to some of you personally. How did you turn out? 
Some maybe grew up in a home like that. You know that it's not going to bring out the best in the kid over time. There has to be a different method. You have to use your leadership, your power, your authority in a different way. You can't always be that demanding person. So you might have the right to wear the crown of power on this earth, and you might have the right to exercise authority, but the way that we lead and the way we exercise that authority and that power is either going to bring joy to the people that are following us, or it's going to cause them to despise us, the one that they're following So in this King Me series, we're going to be looking at both the authority of God in your life and you submitting to him. That's huge, monstrous. But we're also going to be looking then at the authority of this earth and how you submit to those that you're accountable to. And then how do you lead with power and authority when the crown, the small crown, gets put on your head and you get a chance to lead? We're going to look at all of that over these next few weeks. But we're going to start today with self-promotion. Self-promotion. There's a big difference, and I want you to hear me with this. There's a big difference between self-promoting and representing yourself. Like, we all have to represent ourselves. We all filled out a resume, or we filled out a job application before, meaning that we have represented what we can do, you know, and who we are. And then you had to represent yourself when you went to the job interview, right? And they asked you, hey, tell us, like, three of your greatest strengths. And you just had no problem with that one. And then they said, but tell me about maybe three of your greatest weaknesses. And you came out of the shoot with one because you were prepared with it, but then two and three you really struggled, right? Because we always see ourselves better, but you've got to represent yourself. If you're a business owner, okay, or you run a large entity, you might be responsible for the marketing. You might have to be the person who represents the business, or you might be the person who has to represent a particular product. So we have to represent ourselves, okay, in everything we do. I understand that. But there's a big difference between that and then self-promotion. Self-promotion is that attitude of bragging on yourself to make yourself look larger than life. And none of us have ever done that. Pretty sure. However, we do have this very tempting platform that just keeps enticing us to make ourselves look larger than life called social media. In every one of those platforms, there's this idea, there's this gravity that I've got to post a picture. Got to post a picture of what I'm eating so people can see it. I got to post a picture of the shoes I'm going to wear today. I got to post a picture of my cute little dog. I got to post a picture of my grass that I just planted because people care. Well, there's this gravity, guys, that's in our culture today right now that just keeps driving home this idea that if you're not self-promoting, if you're not putting out there who you are, what you do, and all the great things and all the wonderful things that you're a part of and you know, all the nice things people say to you and passing it on. I mean, if you're not doing that, then it's like you're dead in this culture. It's a very self-promoting, look at me, look what I can do, look at all the things that I am. And we've lost, we've blurred the line between what it means to represent ourselves and this bragging of the self-promotion. Can I just tell you about, because that's not tempting for me, right? I, I don't, I'm not even like connected to that because I just know, like I would post one thing and not come back to it for a year. It's not because I don't want to, I just, I just don't think that way for some reason. So I let other people do those things, you know, for us. My area of self-promotion is tempted in a whole different way. So if we can for a moment, let's just pull the veil back on Jeff Baker 
And let's just be a little transparent. This is Transparency 101. My, my area of self-promotion comes down to a couple of areas that I've recognized in my life. All right? And I hate it when I see it, but it's there because we all have it. I find myself at times when people ask me, hey, Jeff, how you doing? I'll say, man, I'm really busy. And then I want to follow it up instead of just ending it there. I want to follow it up with all the things that I am doing to try to show you how much I can carry in this self-promoting attitude of here's what I can carry, here's what I can carry, here's what I can so that you eventually will go, whoo, wow, that's a lot. I find myself doing that. If I've done that to you, I apologize. I find that as a weakness in me. Because we all have a weakness for self-promoting. You know the second area I find as a weakness, and I hate it when I see it, but it's there? Is that when we're talking and we're having a you know, serious conversation and you're telling me about your life, you know what my mind tends to do? My mind tends to think about something I should tell you about my life. Instead of just being still and listening to what's happening in your life. Now, I know you guys, you guys have no problems in any of these areas of self-promotion. Only me. I get it. I'm the one pulling the veil back, being transparent right now. I just wanted to let you see a snapshot into my life because none of us are above this. And every time we do this, here's what's happening. Every time, here's the truth. It's a very powerful truth. Every time I'm self-promoting, I'm saying this to God. Give me the crown for a minute. I'm going to wear the crown for a little bit. I'm going to be the king in this conversation. I'm going to be the king at this moment. Every time we self-promote, it just shows that you are going to be the king. Here's what God's word says about this whole thing, though. In Proverbs 27, he says, let someone else praise you. Let someone else promote you, but not your own mouth. How about a stranger, but not your own lips? It's like if, you can, if we can live our lives in such a way that honors God, there will be times when strangers will promote you, and you don't even have to promote yourself. But when we wear the crown, God, God just literally, he lets us just dig the hole a little deeper. Just dig the hole a little deeper. When you wear the crown, it's like you become a ditch digger, and you dig a hole that you can suffer in. But when we surrender and we allow God to be the king of our lives and let him wear the crown, this is what he does. This is what he does. He starts promoting you. He starts elevating you in the eyes of others. In fact, he starts preparing you for the very next level of leadership that he wants for your life. But that only happens when God gets to wear the crown. Let me give you a couple examples. The Apostle Paul. All right, here's the guy who wrote more books in the New Testament than anyone else. We talked about that a minute ago. But when he grew up as a kid, he grew up underneath the tutelage or underneath the instruction of a Jewish rabbi. And he was in this school of being prepared to be the next religious leaders of his day. He was memorizing what we now call the Old Testament. He was memorizing most of it, if not all of it. And he rises up through this school and through this schooling being taught these things so that he could become the next Pharisee, the next Sadducee is what they call them, Pharisees. He would become the next religious leaders of his day. And as he starts to gain influence, as he starts to gain power, he directs that power and influence towards Christians. 
towards those who had decided, who had decided this, that Jesus is the King of Kings and he is the Lord of Lords. Because the Jewish people didn't see Jesus that way. If they saw him that way, they never would have put him on a cross. They saw Jesus as a heretic. They saw Jesus as one who was preaching a false gospel. And they found his followers to be those that were anti what the Jewish culture was all about. And so when they killed Jesus, Paul, Paul goes into, into, into effect and he says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to eradicate all the followers of Jesus. So he starts going after them to persecute them and to kill them. That's what he's using his power for. Christians of his day, Christ followers of his day, would have voted Paul most likely to not be the most influential leader in the New Testament other than Jesus. That's how they would have voted him. They would have said, no way. There's no way possible that guy is ever writing a book that's ever getting into God's word. It's not possible. But God had other plans, didn't he? So God interrupts Paul. He interrupts him while he's on course to persecute and to possibly even kill more Christians. And he gives Paul an option to fulfill God's plan in his life instead of Paul's plan in his life. He basically comes to Paul and he says this, will you give me the crown of your life or are you going to continue to wear it? Paul at that moment recognizes that this is the supreme authority, God. And he surrenders to the supreme authority, the lordship of Christ in his life. And he says, I'm going to surrender my crown to you. And he repents to God and he says, I'll follow you. And because Paul surrendered his life to God, it allowed God to start promoting him in amazing ways, and Paul becomes the second most influential leader in all of the New Testament, right on the heels of Jesus. What man saw was one thing, what God saw was another. And God's the one who promoted Paul. At first, the, the, the Christians, they were scared, like you and me would be. Like, no, there's no way that guy changed. I mean, he's been hunting people down, with a vengeance for the past number of, of months. There's no way that he's repented. But slowly and surely, Paul wasn't the one who stood before them and promoted himself. God promoted him into, into this position of authority. But the one I really want to talk to you about is David. David in the Old Testament. He becomes the greatest king Israel has ever known. But the story goes like this, that David was just a boy in 1 Samuel, which is a book in the Old Testament when Saul, the first king of Israel, becomes king. He's just a boy. But Saul, the first king, he ends up sinning before God and the authority of his kingship. And God says, you're no longer gonna be the king and your days are numbered. And that God chose another person to be king and he chose this young boy named David. And he goes, God speaks to his prophet, Samuel. Samuel's the oracle for God. He's the mouthpiece of God. He's the demonstration of God's power and his authority on the earth. And God goes to Samuel and he says, Samuel, I have a mission for you. I want you to go to Bethlehem to the house of Jesse. And Jesse has a number of sons. I've chosen one of his sons to be the next king to follow Saul. And what I want you to do is I want you to stand before every one of those sons and I'm going to show you which one is to be king. And when I show you, I want you to anoint him with oil. Literally, it would have been to pour oil on his head and let it run down his beard or down his face onto his clothes. Just like consume him with oil as a purification, as an identifier that God has appointed this guy to be the next king. 
All right? So that's, that's where you see it. And this is what happens next in 1 Samuel 16. It says that when they arrived, Samuel looked. Look, here's what he does. Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought this, which is Eliab was one of the sons of Jesse. One of them. He takes one look at Eliab, a son of Jesse, and he thought this. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height. Right? So he evidently, he evidently looked good and he was tall. Right? He was muscular. Tall. Looked good. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> But God said, that's called self-promotion, by the way. <laughs> Don't judge by his appearance or height. For I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them, Samuel. People judge by outward appearances, but the Lord looks at what? Oh, man. That's what I love about God. Because we live in a world that's consumed with outward appearance. We live in a world that we look at one another and we quickly judge each other based on the clothes we're wearing right now. That's what I love about new life. That's why I dress the way I do. I dress this way because I don't have to try to impress him. He doesn't care what I look like on the outside. I think the only thing that God cares about right now in this culture is that I come to church with clothes on. <laughs> that, would be a, that would be a deal breaker, okay? Be a deal breaker. But it's not about the outside. It's never been about the outside. When I grew up in church, it was all about the outside. It has nothing to do with the outside. That's the only thing that man's looking at. God's looking at something completely different. He's looking at the heart. But we live in this outward focused, like what kind of degree do you have? What kind of accomplishments have you have? What does your body shape look like, right? Are you chiseled and all muscular? Are you a little chubby like your pastor? You see what I'm saying? Like, what kind of body type do you have? And we look at each other very quickly and we come to these conclusions like, I like him, but I don't like him. I like her, but I don't like her. And we come to these conclusions based on the way we, we look, we talk, we sound, we dress, the way we fix our hair and little faux hawks or whatever it is. And we're attracted to like certain people and not to others because we're constantly looking on the outward. But it gets worse than that. It's not just that you judge others, it's that you, you're judging yourself based on the way that you see others' outward appearances. Guys, the weight of that is consuming. In fact, it's overwhelming. That's the culture that we live in. We're driven by the way that others look like on the outside, sound like on the outside, present themselves in the social media fantasy world on the outside, and we're trying to live up to this unrealistic expectation that we're never going to meet because we're focused on the outside just like Samuel was focused on the outside. But Samuel learned a powerful lesson that day in his older age. Samuel, this is God saying it, I don't look at those things, man. I don't care how tall he is. I don't care how muscular he is. I don't care that he's the oldest. I don't care about those things. I look at the heart. And guys, the good news is today, God's looking at your heart. He's looking at, do you honor him? Do you worship him? Do you obey him? 
He's looking at what happens when you fail, what happens when you fall, what happens when you collapse, what happens when you break God's law. Do you rebound from that? Is your heart going, God, I'm coming back to you with a heart of repentance? God's looking for your hunger after him. How much do you hunger for him versus hunger for the things of the world? God's looking for your desire to hear his voice and to follow his voice more than you follow any other voice on this planet. God's looking at the heart and he's going, do you trust me? Do you have faith in me? Do you have faith to believe me for anything? That's what God's looking at. So look, we can't change the way others are going to look at us. But we can change the way that we see ourselves and the way we look at others. That's something that we can do. We can do that. And what I want to encourage us to do is this. Start looking at what God sees in your life. Start looking at what God sees in other people's lives. Learn the lesson that Samuel learned. We're not looking at the outward. We're looking, we're looking at something different than that. Because when we look at the outward, it makes us want to self-promote. But when we look at the inner, it makes us humble. So the story goes on. Jesse's there. Samuel's there. Seven of Jesse's sons have now crossed in front of Samuel. And every single one of them, instantaneously, Samuel knew that's not the selected one. So then Samuel basically asked Jesse, I mean, come on, man, do you have any other kids? Because I don't think I missed God on this, right? And here's what went down. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons that you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields. He's watching the sheep and the goats. We'll send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down and not eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. Okay, I'm not doing that again. All right. (laughs) He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes, and the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. For some of you, you're sitting next to a person that might be dark, handsome, with beautiful eyes. You should just lean over to them right now and just go, hey, that should be your new life verse. (laughs) When people ask you, like, what's the most important verse in the Bible to you? Take them right there. Oh, how self-promoting. <laughs> what I want you to see is a couple of things. First off, look, God wasn't just saying that the outward just like doesn't matter. He just doesn't put the priority there. There is some outward stuff here that's listed. But what you should really be thinking right now is this. If he was the one that was selected by God to be the king, he wasn't even considered worthy enough to be in the interviews. He wasn't even invited. He had someone else looking at his outward appearance, saying these things like, uh, he's too young. Like, he doesn't qualify. He shouldn't be there. Like, he he doesn't, we, we just overlook him altogether. Leave him out in the fields with the sheep and the goats. When, all, when one of my sons is going to be the king, it surely can't be him. He's just too young. He got marginalized. He wasn't even invited to the interviews. But that didn't stop God, guys. That did not stop God. And for some of you, you feel just like David does, did at that very moment. You feel just like him. You feel overlooked. You feel like you're too young to accomplish anything great. You've been told you don't have enough experience. And you feel like you're just like David. You're being overlooked for the next thing of your life. And I just want you to know right now that God, none of that will stop God. If God wants you 
to be in the next step of your life. He wants you to be in the next seat of your life. He will get you there regardless of what is behind your name or in front of your name, regardless of your heritage, regardless of your age, regardless of your education. If God has a call on your life to be at a certain place, he's going to be the one that gets you there unless you take the crown from him and you say, I'll be my own promoter. If David's there and he's knocking on the door and he wants to be first in line and he's trying to promote himself to Samuel, he's not the guy. It's because something important was going down and he was okay being out in the fields. That God was now allowed to promote him. So you got to resist if you feel like David did at that moment, the way he was being treated. you got to resist the temptation to jump into self-promotion mode. I want you to consider this. When you're surrendered to God and not trying to promote your own abilities, God has a way of making your best abilities known to those who need to see them. That's what happened for David. But the scary thought is this, that your self-promotion can be the very thing that's cloaking the best qualities of God in your life. It's cloaking it. Because if you're out there trying to trumpet your own horn, somebody's out there going, I don't want to hear any more of it but you might be the very person that they need. Self-promotion will cloak the best that God has in your life. So let me lay out three quick things. How can you let God be your promoter and resist this world's temptation to be a self-promoter? How can you do that? Let me tell you three quick things. First off would be this. Keep reminding yourself, I'm living for the audience of one, which is God. So this sermon today, The sermon today is not being preached so that your accolades can make me have some self-worth or not. This sermon's being preached first off and primarily for the audience of one. I care more about right now, God, did I communicate your word correctly than did you like what I had to say? That's what I care more about. It's not that I don't care about you. I love you deeply. So it's not that. So it's not I'm just going to get up here and offend you and be rude to you and say harsh things to you because that would be wrong all by itself. Because when you live for an audience of one, it should change the way that you see others. It should change the way that you lead others. It should change the way that you love others. Just because you're living for an audience of one doesn't mean you don't care about others. It should change you to be more like Jesus on this earth towards others. Living for an audience of one. But this is what Colossians says about it. It says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. You know what's gonna change your attitude tomorrow when you walk into work? It's when you decide, I'm walking into work to honor him more than to honor them. And you know what will end up happening? You will honor them more than you ever have. You're gonna find more joy, more peace, more contentment. Wake up tomorrow morning Put it into practice and just see if it doesn't de-escalate your anxiety. If it doesn't take down your temperament and balance it a little bit better. If it doesn't bring you to a point where you don't feel like you have to promote yourself to your boss or promote yourself to your employees or self-promote how good you are. Just see if you work for the audience of one, how it de-escalates that need. Because now all all you're starting to care about is the opinion that he has of your life. And that becomes most important. That will de-escalate your desire to have to promote yourself and let God now be the one that promotes you. Number two, embrace where God has you. I mean, I just can't say it enough. 
There's something supernatural about embracing where God has you, saying, God, I'm going to maximize where you got me right now. I'm going to live it out. I'm going to do all that you want me to do. Because when you embrace where God has you, again, you become content with where you are. Now you're not striving to be somebody that you're not, striving to get something that you don't have, which in that is the breeding ground of self-promotion. When you're content and you've embraced where God has you, now you can thrive. Here's what Jesus had to say about it. In Matthew 6, he says, so don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all of your needs. So he says this, here's the antidote. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. When you embrace where you're at, you're saying this, God, this is where you caused me to thrive. I'm gonna seek you, I'm gonna obey you, I'm gonna worship you, I'm gonna give my very, very best right here, I'm gonna embrace it. When you do that, all of a sudden, the needs that are around you, they start to go down. The desires to grab and gain and get a hold of and anxiety and worry, they start to go down because you've just embraced where God has you. You may not wanna live in this town. You may not wanna live in North Platte. You may not wanna live in Ogallala, but embrace it. You may not want to work where you work. Embrace it. Just embrace it. God, this is where you have me. This is what you have me to do. I'm going to trust you in that. And then you become more calm. You don't feel like you have to promote yourself all the time. Number three, lastly, thank God for all things. Thank him for all things. There's something amazing. Thankfulness reminds your soul who the king is. If you're not thanking God, you're praising you. If you're not thanking God, like for all the small things of your life and the big things, when you stop thanking God, you start praising you. Who's wearing the crown? <laughs> right? But here's what a thankful heart does. A thankful heart diminishes what I can do and it starts elevating what he can do. That's what a thankful heart does. So a thankful heart, again, it allows God to be the promoter and it lets self-promotion to settle down. So guys, I want to challenge all of us. Let's come to the Lord right now. Let's ask him once again. Jesus, I want you to be the king of my life. Just be the king of my life. For some of you, maybe you've never done that. You've never said, Jesus, I want you to be the king of my life. I want to invite you today to let Jesus be the king. Give him the crown of your life. Let him wear it. Let him wear it. And I want you to do something with me today. I want you to, I want you to like picture yourself. Close your eyes during our worship time. Take the crown, lay it at the feet of Jesus. Just lay it at the feet of Jesus and let God wear the crown. Let him be in control. Seek first his kingdom. He'll take care of all your needs. So today, I just want you to do something with me for the next 15 minutes that we have together. Don't ask God for anything. I know you got a lot of needs. We all have needs. Oh, I have a, we all have a truckload of things that you know, we need to ask God for. But look, today in these next 50, this is 15 minutes. God cares about your needs. But the next 15 minutes, this is what the scripture says, and I want us to practice it. Seek first his kingdom and live for him. He goes, I'll take care of the rest. Let's put that to practice. Let's put that to test. Let's seek him 
And let's live for him in these next few minutes and let's let him take care of the rest. That would be taking the crown and establishing it on God and taking it off of you. Let's do that today. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Jesus, we come to you desperate, desperate for the power of your presence in our life. And we're going to come to you, God, and we're going to practice what your word says. We're going to seek first your kingdom. And we're going to let our hearts be fully devoted to you. We're going to let you take care of the rest. It's like when we try to take care of all of our needs, that's when we become the self-promoter. So we have to start bragging on ourselves for all the things we accomplished and all the tasks we got done. But Lord, when we just seek first your kingdom, then you take care of the needs. And then, God, now we can promote you. So Lord, in this life, we get a chance to promote one thing or another thing. We either promote ourselves or we promote you. God, I think I know what every heart that's listening to my voice right now ultimately wants in their life. And that's this. We want our lives to promote you, Jesus, more than they promote us. So Lord, we surrender to you and we lay our crowns down before you and we take these next few minutes just to worship you as King of kings and of Lord of lords. In Jesus' name, amen.